Uh, would y'all turn with me uh, for the scripture reading to uh, John 6 this morning, uh, the 6th chapter of John. Let's see, we'll be reading the first 15 verses in John 6, 1 through 15. Would you stand when you find it? <clears throat> Uh, Starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii uh, worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one that every one of them may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. And now... There was, a, was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets, with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Come in the name of Jesus this morning, Lord, looking to you and thanking you, Father, for providing salvation for us, for providing satisfaction for our souls, satisfaction for your own righteous demands so that we may have fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word that changes us, that exposes who we really are to ourselves, that tells us about you and who you are. We pray, Lord, make us attentive to your word today. We, we know that every portion of it is God-breathed and important for the salvation of sinners and for the sanctification of ourselves. And Lord, I pray for your direction now and for your enablement to speak the message you would have delivered. And again, ask that you enable all of us to hear, to understand, to perceive, and to receive what you are saying. To your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, uh, we have a little saying at work that really is said facetiously often, but uh, it, it is, um, I love it when the plan comes together. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking as, as we were singing this morning, because uh, there was some mention here of some things that we're going uh, to be considering over the next uh, couple of Sundays. Um, allusions and, and uh, allusions to what we're going to be talking about. One was in the first hymn we did, uh, Brethren, We Have Met to Worship. It's got the, the line in there, Brethren, Pray, and Holy Manna will be showered all around. What a what an image uh, that is. And, uh, and that's a good song, by the way. I love that song. Um, I, I can't hear, some of you know Ben Jordan, and I, I can't sing that song without hearing Brother Ben sing it in my head. It's, just, it's a blessing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And uh, I think the other one was 263. No, nope, not 263. What was it? 260-something. 363. Thank you. Okay. Um... In the, in the third verse, he will never, never, never leave me nor yet forsake me here while I live by faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I have nothing now to fear. With his manna, he my hungry soul shall fill. And there again, that's using the, uh, the imagery of the manna that God rained down from heaven from the, uh, for the Jewish people, the children of Israel in the wilderness. I, I want us to have that image in our head because this, even though that's not specifically what we're going to talk about this morning, it's related and, and it is where we're headed in this passage. It's, it's part of chapter 6. And I think, um, well, it is related in that sense. You know, the, the idea has already started, although we're not going to be dealing with manna specifically in this verse. Um, but, but the idea has already started, and I think it's not, not mere coincidence that by the time we get out of this chapter, that's, uh, Jesus does use um, that imagery to describe himself. But along those lines, um, what we're going to be talking about this morning is just being satisfied, uh, more specifically being satisfied with Jesus, or you could say in Jesus, satisfied in Jesus. And uh, that's, that's, where, that's where we're at this morning, and as I said, it, we're, going to, we're going to see he's going to... Um, use some different imagery as he as he uh, does his discourse in the latter part of the chapter, talking not only about manna um, that God gave to the children of Israel, but also talking about himself as the fulfillment of it being the the bread of life. In other words, he's the true bread. Manna was a picture, a shadow, a type of a reality yet to come. And Jesus winds up saying, "The reality is me. I'm the bread." Verse thirty-five. I am the bread of life, and so. He goes on to say, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's what these other things just picture. So, the true satisfaction is only found in Him. And no other place. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to be satisfied. Do you like to be satisfied? 
<laughs> maybe other than in Christ, you know, we, we, we probably never fully have been in, in any, even in the particular things, but, uh, but we've had some sense of it. We've had some taste of it. And that's kind of what you see, again, like with, with, with the manna. Even what is pictured now in the, in the Lord's Supper as we look back um, to the death and resurrection of Christ and we think about fellowship with Him um, portrayed in the partaking of His flesh. That's a picture. That's a symbol. The reality is Christ. But I like being satisfied. In fact, yesterday, uh, in fact, this might be a, 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 a kind of an analogy for not being fully satisfied. Yesterday, I, I had gone over to Bell Park to sing and you know how those things go. They have, they have all these kinds of, of um, goodies laid out. Um, and, and most of them, to my great disappointment, um, you had to bid on. And um, I disappointed because I wasn't going to be hanging around. I didn't mind bidding on them, but, but you know, I just wasn't going to be hanging around to do that. And uh, so I, I wanted a full cake or a full pie, you know. But I always left for bed. Uh, so I didn't get one of those. But they had all these little treats, you know, bags of cookies and things like that that you could buy outright. So I bought these little um, um, cheesecakes that were about the size of an old silver dollar and uh, even better than I expected. I mean, they were good. <laughs> they, they were good, but, you know, you, uh, you eat that and you go, oh, if it was only... A little bigger. <laughs> yeah. So even as good as it was, you don't get fully satisfied because the thing just wasn't quite big enough. It's, it's, so it's, you know, it, it leaves you wanting more. But, again, those things, those things just help us get a little bit of an idea about what true satisfaction is all about and maybe help us understand that we never fully realize it. Outside of Christ. Outside of Christ. And I'm not just trying to be funny there. I think even those little, those little good little treats and things like that just are kind of a reminder for us, right, of, of, of the blessings of God and, uh, and how good God is to us. Well, let me go back to verse 1 here. And, and uh, this again is following Jesus healing the man at the pool of, uh, of uh, Bethesda. And I don't know how much time elapses here, quite a bit, I would imagine. Um, it says, after this, which is, uh, in, indicates uh, um, chronology, but it, but it doesn't give us a specific uh, amount of time. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. And, and the, the, the structure of the Greek here helps with the picture because these two... Uh, verbs um, he was doing the signs he was doing and then the other one being uh, there was a crowd following him that is imperfect tense which indicates continuing action so as Jesus is doing signs there's a great crowd following him or as the ESV says crowd was following him because of the, they saw the signs that he was doing that's, that's continual action they were following he was doing they were marveling at the signs, and so they followed him. Now, Jesus, verse 3 says, um, I'm sorry, verse 2 says, large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. 
on the sick. That is, he was healing the sick. Now, verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, again, uh, you read the rest of what we're talking about this morning, and, and, um, and you may wonder, why did, why did John slip that in there? Was he just giving us a time frame? Well, possibly letting us know what time of year it is. Uh, about the time of year that we're in right now. He, he tells us it's the time of Passover, plus he says there's much grass. So you, you've got a, a, a picture of a springtime here. Um, but I think, too, it's, it's a little more important than that. It's, it's because, again, Jesus is going to be shown to be the fulfillment. So we get, we get hints at that here and there in different ways. John says the Passover um, feast, uh, it, it is the, the Passover feast, but... The true Passover lamb is the one that attention is focused on here, the one who's going about healing and teaching. So, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Verse 5 says, Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now let me just back up from that just a moment. First, First off, Jesus um, acknowledges, he sees and he acknowledges the need, all right? The need. People are coming in droves. As Jesus is doing signs, and again, remember, we talked about that earlier on. That's a, a term that John, is, uh, that John favors. Um, because again, the idea is that it points to something. A sign points to something. You go down the interstate and you see a big sign that says, construction, you know, 30 miles ahead or whatever, uh, you know that the, the, the construction is not the sign. The, constru- the sign is telling you that there's something else to look for. There's something ahead. Sometimes signs are very encouraging, sometimes very discouraging, right? Yeah, I think I told you all the story one time. We, we, I was pulling a trailer through the uh, mountains of Arkansas, um, Highway 7, the scenic route. Uh, I didn't see much of it because I was so focused on what I was... <laughs> They, they, literally, the work I was doing, um, keeping the truck on the road, um, brakes smelling, all that kind of thing. Uh, Leslie got to see quite a bit of it. She was enjoying the view. But, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm concerned because uh, the trailer brakes weren't real good. And in fact, my van was old. It wasn't real, real good either. We, we did it. I won't give you the whole story. We did wind up blowing the transmission on one of the mountains. Um, but God took care of that too and provided... Um, Transmission repairman, a handy. But at any rate, um, so I'm getting concerned about this whole situation, and I see a sign. And this is what the sign said. It said, steep and curvy for the next 68 miles. That was not an encouraging sign. <laughs> that was not an encouraging sign. So it wasn't put there to ruin my day. It was put there as a, as a warning, right? So we'd be careful. Signs point to something. And so John likes to use this term, sign, because these signs point to a reality, a reality that John wants us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Now, if you've got a bulletin, you've got a a verse on there somewhere, John 20, verse, I don't have a bulletin in front of me, but John John 20, uh, verses 30 and 31 and that's, that's our key verse as we do this study. And that's where John explains his reason 
for writing. Verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs. There's the term, signs. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. That is, these signs are written. John saying, I recorded these signs for a purpose, because they point to something. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So what he's saying is the signs just tell us something. The signs inform us. They inform us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you believe that, you have life in his name. So that's why John gives us these signs. That's why Jesus was doing these signs. And as John said in that verse, many other signs Jesus did that are not recorded here. And so it's some of these others that verse 2 is referring to. The crowd is continually following him because they saw the signs that he was continually doing. Now bring all that out again because I want to be clear that the main point here is who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Our first point here is the need. We're going to talk about how Jesus fills this physical need. But let's don't get sidetracked to that. That sign, he's filling that physical need. That sign is pointing to something more important. And that is who He is. The Christ. The Son of God. But, here's, here's the thing that Jesus is going to address. All these people that have followed Him out into a desolate place. In fact, one of the Gospel accounts, the, the, the Apostles say, we're here in this, desolate, in this desolate place. And you can imagine, out there on the Sure, they're right somewhere in, in, in the middle of nowhere. There's, there's not a cracker barrel in sight. So, I mean, they, or butchers or anything like that. So they can't say, well, let, we'll just bread on the house. You know, go in and, and get you a chicken fried steak or whatever it is you want and we'll pay for it. They don't have those kind of resources available. And so what the disciples want to do is disperse the crowd, let them go back to the villages and get food for themselves. And Jesus says, no. I've got a better solution. And you, you get this from reading the other accounts. But Jesus says, I've got a better solution. You give them something to eat. Well, so here's the need. You've got all these people and they're hungry. Now, the other gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, tell us that Jesus had compassion on them. And Mark says, Mark sheds a little more light on that. He had compassion on them because what he saw was that they were sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Now, it's interesting. I mean, if you think about the 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 of the people here, which is going to come out even more as we go along, but they're following because of the signs that he's doing. That that can be good, it can be bad. That in itself is not bad. I mean, Jesus does say, look, at least believe me for the works sake. And that's a pretty strong testimony. You know, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. At least believe me for those things. 
But we're going to see as we go on through this, their, their motives aren't pure here. And Jesus knows that, doesn't He? We saw that. We saw that back in the latter part of chapter 2 when He was uh, early on, earlier on in His ministry. And they believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. That's chapter 2, verse 23. They believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing, but Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people. And He made no one to bear witness about man for He Himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in man. Well, that's, that's true here as well. They're following Him because He's doing signs. And He knows that. But He looks over the crowd, has compassion on them, and determines to do something about their physical need. Now, He does have something greater in view. In other words, He doesn't just simply want to feed them. But nevertheless, He does want to feed them. And he could do like the disciples suggested, you know, just send, just send them all away, disperse them so that they can go feed for themselves. But no, he, he, he wants to take care of that need. I like uh, what Brother Dickie said Wednesday night. You know, you, people are going to use you. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, we, we have to be willing to be used. For the glory of God. It doesn't mean we have to be stupid about it, but we do have to be willing to be used. I mean, sometimes it's going to happen and we just got to say, well, that's, that's part of it. That comes with the territory. And rejoice in it because we have opportunity to help somebody. So Jesus, knowing that they're, they're moving out right, knowing that they're scamming, basically, that's what we would say, or that they're, they're just simply in it for what they can gain themselves. Knowing all that, He has compassion on them and He feeds them. Now, <clears throat> here's a test for the disciples. Oop, my page got turned here. Let me get back where I'm supposed to be. Here's a test for the disciples. Jesus, uh, or Philip first says, in verse 5, why are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, perhaps, perhaps Philip's question was prompted by uh, Jesus saying, you give them something. Like I said, if you read the other gospel accounts, that's, that's what you find. They, they want to disperse the crowd, and Jesus says, you feed them. Interesting, isn't it? Turns to his disciples. I mean, put yourself in their place. <laughs> Jesus looks at you, and you got you got five thousand men out there, hundred men. So you count women and children. You may be talking a, a crowd, twenty thousand maybe, fifteen to twenty thousand. And Jesus looks at you and says, "You need them." Well, Philip says, "Look, we need to buy bread so that these people may eat." But John tells us in verse six. He said this to test him. That is, Jesus said that to Philip, or uh, Jesus said rather, where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? And he said that to test Philip. For he himself knew what he would do. So he knows what he's going to do. They don't know what he's going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Now 200 
a denarii. A denarii is about a day's wages at this particular time. So you're talking about roughly about eight months' uh, pay for for the average worker. Philip says, "Look, about uh, about eight, eight months' pay would not be sufficient for them to get a little." What he what he's saying is, this is an impossible task. We can't do it, even if we had money. Jesus, we can't do it. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a man who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there's much grass in the place. So, the men sat down, about 5,000, and again, that's just the men, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Now comes the sign. That is, Jesus is going to do something to address the immediate physical needs of the people. That in itself is, is a, uh, an amazing act of grace. He, he doesn't in any way owe this to them. And especially when you consider their, their wrong motivation. And yet He's going to do it. He's going to address the immediate needs of the people. But, again... He's doing doing it with with something um, something something bigger in view, and that is to expose his identity. So he says, "Have the people sit down." There was much grass in this place. John says, and "Jesus took the loaves." Verse eleven. And when he had given thanks, he distributed distributed them. That is, he distributed the loaves and the fish to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Now notice. I just like some of the wording here. Notice um, Philip had said that even eight months' pay would not be sufficient for them to get a little. Now Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and distributes them and they get as much as they want. As much as they want. Out of five barley loaves and two fish. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So, not only did they get all they wanted, not only did they eat their fill, but there was still an abundance left. Twelve baskets full. We can speculate why. I mean, there may be some symbolism there just, just showing the sufficiency of Jesus as Lord here to, to, uh, to Lord over and provide for the twelve tribes of Israel. Perhaps, you know, some, some have suggested, you know, he's got a basket for each disciple here. So, <laughs> so after they distributed and, and uh, you know, fed the people, you got a, a basket left for each disciple. These aren't small baskets, by the way. They're, they're large baskets. Um, if you ever... You ever you remember remember seeing the uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the original one, um, the good one, you know, before they did all the sequels, um, and, and they had this scene where uh, this 
lady's kidnapped, and, and I forget her name, but she's kidnapped. And anyway, all, she gets taken away in this big, huge basket. That's, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And when Indiana Jones runs out in the crowd to try to find her, you know, he's looking for the basket, and, and, and you've got hundreds of people carrying these big, huge baskets on their head. <laughs> and he runs out there and starts knocking them all over, trying to find the girl. That's the kind of basket we're talking about here. Twelve baskets of leftovers. And he doesn't waste any. He commands them to, uh, to gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up. Verse 13 says, They gathered them up, uh, gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is come into the world. So, Jesus sees the need and has compassion on the people because they're like sheep without a shepherd, aimless, no direction. And he has compassion on them and he meets the need. And not, not, he doesn't just partially fill the need. He doesn't just barely meet the need. But they get full and then there's still an abundance left. And they are satisfied. In fact, in the other three gospel accounts, that is explicitly stated. They all ate and were satisfied. They're, they're full. You just kind of put that in our context. It would be like going to the buffet, you know, and you get... You got all the choices out there. You get plenty. You get everything you need, and you sit back. Maybe you have a cup of coffee to top it off, and of course that would be after the uh, the cobbler with the ice cream. But you you top it off, you know, with a cup of coffee, and you're satisfied. There's 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 a that's that's a great word, isn't it? And there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, you can think, what does it mean to be satisfied? Complete. I mean, your, your needs are met. Happy. I mean, we, we like it you know, when we're satisfied. There's nothing, there's nothing lacking, nothing more needed. The provision was sufficient. They ate and they were satisfied. Now, verse 14 is interesting. And we've already mentioned their, their motives aren't exactly right. Primarily they're following Him because He's doing the signs. Verse 14 says, When the people saw the sign that He had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, verse 14 and 15, you've got a combination here of right conclusions, wrong application. Right conclusions, wrong application. The right conclusion is this. They say this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Well, what are they referring to? Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord your God, and this is God speaking through Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, that is to Moses, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, the Jews had come to understand that prophecy as having a a, a fulfillment somewhere in the future where this Moses-like figure would come on the scene who God would speak through and to whom God would listen. A a latter-day deliverer. And they see the signs that Jesus is doing and they say, this indeed is the prophet. This must be the prophet that Moses spoke about. And there were different um, opinions that developed in, in the Jewish teaching. And some, some saw the prophet and the Messiah. You know, you've heard us talk about the, the messianic figure, the anointed one who would come, uh, was to come. Some saw the prophet and the Messiah as being two different people. Remember when the, when the, uh, the Jews asked John the Baptist, they, they put those in two different questions. Are you the prophet? Talking about this figure, Deuteronomy 18 figure. No, John says. Are you the Christ? No. So, so the, the particular Jews asking those questions to John saw the prophet and the Messiah as being two different people. But some thought that the fulfillment would come in one person. The prophet was another way of talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. And that, I would say, is the right view, by the way. We know that uh, both of those, uh, uh, all of those prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. So he is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, and he is also the promised Messiah that is spoken of um, in various places throughout the Old Testament. So that's the right conclusion. This indeed is the prophet. Now, verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him, and remember, by the way, Jesus knows what's in man, right? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things gone wrong here. It's interesting, by the way, that they would you know, even attempt to come and make someone a king by force. <laughs> you, you're not a king whether you like it or not. But they were so determined, so hopeful to be free from Roman rule and once again uh, an independent kingdom that they were willing to take those kinds of measures. And, and, and there was a lot of uh, anticipation at this particular time anyway uh, for the Messiah to show up on the, machine, on the scene. And there were many false messiahs who came along, led rebellions, and uh, you know, were put down, squashed by uh, the Roman military. So anticipation of the Messiah was at, at a high point here at any rate. But Jesus would have none of that. 
So it's a right conclusion that is, this indeed is the prophet, but wrong application. Take him by force and make him a king. In the few minutes we have left, let's just think for a minute about this idea of being satisfied in Christ. Now, first of all, that's pictured in the, in the feeding. That's one of the things that the feeding is pointing to. That is, Jesus is sufficient, like in, in this case, in the, in the little physical um, sign here, the, what looked like such a small amount, this, such, such a humble meal, this five loaves, five barley loaves. Uh, incidentally, Mark tells us it was barley loaves, which is just a, a small, cheap loaf that poor people would have. Five barley loaves and two fish. It doesn't sound like much of a meal. But it was sufficient to, to feed everybody there. And it was sufficient so that everybody there not only ate, but they got full, satisfied. And it was sufficient to do even beyond that because there were 12 baskets of fragments left. And that's a great picture of the eternal work of Christ. Or you can just say of the person of Christ Himself. That He is sufficient to satisfy us. He's sufficient. In fact, I would go so far as to say He, he, he is sufficient and His atoning work is sufficient to pay for the sin of every believer or every person rather that ever lived. Now we know that that's not going to play out in the end. There are going to be unbelievers and some are going to perish for not believing in Christ. Their sins not atoned for at Calvary. But it's not because his death wasn't sufficient to do that. When we speak of limited atonement, we don't mean that Christ's atoning work is limited in its power, in its sufficiency, in its efficacy. It's not. And Jesus is fully sufficient in His righteousness, in His eternal death, in His resurrection power. Jesus is fully sufficient to save us to the uttermost. And not just one of us, but all of us whom He is determined to save. And again, I think even beyond that, His power is sufficient to do much more in terms of number. That's how great Jesus is. That's how great His grace is. And you see that pictured in, in the feeding of the 5,000. And you see the satisfaction that believers know. You see that picture as well. Everybody ate and they were satisfied. And that's true of Christ. Everybody that comes to Christ is satisfied. <clears throat> Yesterday I was, I was looking at this verse, Jeremiah 31, 14. And the Lord is talking about the time when He will restore Israel to their land. It's a prophecy concerning the restoration of Israel. And He says, I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. 
Wasn't that a great picture there of satisfaction in Christ? My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. In other words, he's declaring. That's a declarative statement. He's saying, this is the way I will My people shall be satisfied in my goodness. Now, reality is here in, in the, uh, the physical situation going on with the feeding of the 5,000. They weren't satisfied with the Lord's goodness. They were satisfied with the physical fish and loaves that were, hand, that were passed around, but they weren't satisfied with the goodness of the Lord. And that's the reality of the Old Testament too, isn't it? You think about the children of Israel, God, in, while they're in the desert, He's raining down manna. And how awesome is that? I mean, God is just, you don't even have to uh, toil for your food every day. God is raining it from heaven. What do you think? That was satisfying, wasn't it? And when they first got their hands on it and first tasted of it, they thought it was awesome too. Tasted good. And then just the, the, just the way that it was coming, God raining it from heaven. What, a, what an expression of the manifest grace of God. But you keep on reading in the story and you find that in reality, they weren't satisfied with the goodness of the Lord. But God says, my people, and I think he's meaning there, those who are indeed my people, the ones who are really my people, this is, this is one way they're going to be marked. They'll be satisfied by my goodness. And so you see that pictured in the feeding of the 5,000. You also see the sad reality um, manifest there that that is really not what many people are interested in. That, God's goodness. They, they were satisfied with the bread. They said, indeed, this is the prophet. And then they wanted to make him Well, what's wrong with that? Well, that kind of king, that kind of manifestation of power, that kind of kingdom was not what Jesus was about, was not part of his purpose, was not why he came. So they're, they're really missing the main point here. They see that. That's good. What they're missing is what John is wanting them to see, wanting us to see in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, that He's the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him you have eternal life. So the satisfaction has to not just be in signs that he does, like you know, the giving of bread, miraculously um, multiplying it. The satisfaction has to be not just in services that he can perform, like you know, if, if he would if he would become king, he could deliver us from Roman oppression. The satisfaction has to be in Him. In who He truly is. As 
Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. A few things to think about and we're done here. Do we trust Jesus to supply what we need? And again, especially in terms of our spiritual need. Are we looking in our places, you know, Jesus says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip says, well, you know, 200 denarii worth wouldn't fill all these people. And the other disciples are wanting to disperse them so they can go in the villages and find food. Are we looking to other sources for satisfaction or are we trusting Christ? Do we understand that He's our supplier in every need that we have? He's the source. Do we give thanks for what He's provided? They got five loaves, two fish, and they're thinking, you know what we need to do? If, if, if we're, if we're going to take care of this crowd, send them on their way. But the Lord is thinking, here's what you need to do work with what you got. And give thanks for it. That's what Jesus does. Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and gives thanks for it. Literally, the idea is he blesses God. It's, it's not that it's not that you know we we say a blessing over the food like we think about. We bless God. We bless God for the food. We bless God for providing for the food and whatever else it is. We bless God for it. Psalmist in, in Psalm one thirty five that David read earlier. The psalmist was re- repeatedly saying there, bless God, bless God. Right? Bless God, you people. Bless God. And that's what Jesus did. He took the resources they had and He blessed God and used it for the glory of God. And look for satisfaction in Jesus alone, as I mentioned a moment ago. Here's, here's the biggest problem we face in the world and in ourselves too. I mean, we have to be careful about this too. The biggest problem we face is not being satisfied with Jesus. That's it. I was listening to a brother yesterday talking about, um, and I think this is correct, um, the, the idea of evolution essentially was created because people don't like the God of the Bible. A lot of evolutionists, well, let me say it this way. Don't, don't think that people who believe in evolution or Darwin, let's just narrow it down a little bit more, Darwinianism or Darwinism, a lot of people who are, who are Darwinists don't think that they are automatically atheists. They're not. Darwinism doesn't, doesn't necessarily, well, it, it doesn't necessarily contradict theism, the idea that there's a God. And a lot of them are theists but it stands in direct contradiction to the God of the Bible. And that's, that's who they don't like. So the biggest problem we face out there as far as the world is that they're not satisfied with Jesus. They don't like who Jesus is. Now, in the, in the professing church, among professing Christians, a lot of times you still run into that issue. 
People profess the name of Christ. It's like we're seeing here. They're, they're following Him because of the signs and, and so they're, they're giving a certain allegiance to Him. We're following Christ. But they have their own idea about who He is and how things have to work out. So, so they will take Him and make Him a king. We'll tell Him what kind of kingdom He can rule over. We'll find the kingdom. We're going to let Jesus be king, but we'll find what that means. You know, what, the de- defining the office. You know, we'll do that, and we'll define His kingdom. Now, it happens because they're not satisfied with who He really is in truth. And I for a truly born again believers. Is is this not a constant temptation? to be less than satisfied with Jesus. And let's, let's take it even a step further. Less, less, less than satisfied with Jesus and His provisions. So that we're, we're thinking, you know what, if I, if I were just in that position, or if I were just in this position, or if I just had this, or if I had this means, boy, what I could do for God. And the, and the truth is, the Lord is giving us always everything we need for life and godliness. Our satisfaction has to be in Jesus. Not even just in the things that He does or the things that He gives, but in Him. We've got to be satisfied with Christ. Know who He is. He's the Christ, the Son of God. And believing that, have life in Him. Would you stand, please? Do you find Him all sufficient this morning? That's a serious question even for the believers, as I said, because we're constantly tempted. Do you find Jesus all-sufficient? Do you find what He's provided for you good enough? Or do you look to other places? And people turn all kinds of directions looking for satisfaction in things like drugs and alcohol, relationships, Oh, if my relationships were just better, I'd be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. Not if you're not satisfied in Christ. You can stay drunk from now till the day you die. You won't be satisfied till you're satisfied in Christ. St. Augustine said, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. How true that is. There's no satisfaction apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.